I'm just really glad um, to be here with you guys uh, for last week. The last week is always one of my favorite weeks um, of the FNF, just because um, the few and the faithful, right? <laughs> 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 um, but uh, we've been, all semester, we've been doing um, messages uh, from the minor prophets in the Old Testament, um, talking about, you know, what is the heart of God? Um, and uh, the, the Old Testament ends with Malachi, but he's not the last prophet, in a sense. Um, and so tonight, um, we're going to talk about John the Baptist, um, who I like to think of him as the final prophet of Christ. Um, and even though he's in the New Testament, he sort of, in a sense, belongs to the Old Testament um, guys. Uh, but before we get started, let's pray really quick. Um, dear Heavenly Father, um, we pray uh, that tonight, as we study your word, uh, you will speak to us uh, through the lives of words of men uh, who have come before us, uh, and yet at the same time are still, uh, their faith lives on uh, through us today, and I pray that we would uh, learn from them, uh, that we would come to uh, a greater understanding of uh, how we are to live in the light uh, of Jesus Christ who has come uh, to this earth. And so we pray all these things, Lord, in the name of Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Cool. So, uh, let me do uh, a little historical backdrop for you, because we have just, jumping to John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist, he is, uh, his ministry is recorded in all four of the gospel accounts, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, which is really cool um, that he gets so, many, so much airtime. Um, but in fact, it's been 400 years um, before John the Baptist arrives in the scene. So we ended with Malachi before the senior testimony. So you can imagine the senior testimony was 400 years. <laughs> and here we are. Um, but 400 years is a long time. At first, it, it just, it's just a number, but three, uh, three major superpowers of um, world history have uh, come and gone at this point. So the Jews at the time of Malachi were under Persian Empire control, uh, and uh, the Persians were defeated by uh, the Greeks, uh, who, and they, in turn, were defeated by the Romans, and so uh, Israel's been under these different superpowers, there's one after another, they just can't seem to catch a break. And 400 years is a long time to go without any prophetic word. Um, they, the last word they've heard, um, and it's the last two verses in Malachi, is this. This is what they, they've been hanging on to. Uh, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And that's what they're left with. And 400 years go by, and they hear nothing, and it's just all this time. Um, and so um, Israel waits, and they're particularly they're waiting for their Messiah and Elijah, Elijah the prophet. Um, we didn't talk about Elijah this semester, but he's considered one of the great prophets in uh, his. Uh, and so his return is supposedly supposed to herald the coming of coming in the Messiah. Um, so they're all just waiting for that for 400 years. Um, fast forward to the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, um, I won't go into detail, but uh, his birth is quite miraculous in itself. He's a relative of Jesus Christ, actually. Um, and his birth is foretold by an angel. Um, and the angel says this, uh, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And this phrase, to turn the hearts of their fathers back to their children, and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, and this is a big deal. Luke records this, and um, the whole whole town, the whole countryside, is a buzz about John the Baptist's birth, um, because this word is on the back, okay, 
what's it going to be? Clearly, he's a big deal. Um, and they, they've all been waiting for Elijah. If he's in the spirit and power of Elijah, who is John the Baptist? What will he do? Um, and so here we are. Um, and I was really sad that we didn't have enough time to be able to read all of it. Uh, but I'm just going to sort of summarize um, John's ministry uh, real fast here. So <laughs> um, John's ministry starts, he goes out around um, late 20s, early 30s probably, and he goes out to the Judean countryside, and he baptizes people, um, and he preaches a repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and this is something I learned this week, which is really cool. I didn't know this before. Baptism is a little different in that day than uh, what we do with Christian baptism. For, for the Jews of the time, uh, baptism was something actually kind of scandalous to do because it was normally done by Gentiles, uh, people who wanted to confess that they believed what the Jews believed and become part of the Jewish community. So to, in fact, to get baptized um, as a Jew would be to basically say, I have been as if I was not a Jew with any belief before, but here I am turning back. Um, so John was doing some pretty radical stuff um, and challenging people, and uh, all of the countryside, people from all over were coming to him. It was a really big deal. Um, however, uh, people started wondering, because it was such a big deal, is John the Christ? Um, uh oh, there's a missing bullet point. That's strange. Um, people started asking. <laughs> people wondered, is John the Christ? He's, he's preaching, he's having such a big pull, uh, and his words are powerful. Who is he? Um, and yet, John is very straightforward. He comes right out and says, I'm not the Christ. Um, he says, Someone else is coming. I am coming before somebody, somebody whose the thongs of the sandals I am not worthy to untie. Uh, that was a task reserved for the lowest of servants, to just take off the sandals of their master. And he's saying, this guy is such a big deal, I can't even take off his sandals. Uh, so, okay, John is not the Christ, uh, but uh, he still has a big role to play, it seems. Uh, eventually, and this is the climax of John's ministry, Jesus appears, uh, where John is baptizing, and he asks John to baptize him. Uh, and John's a little reluctant, but he does it. Uh, and many of you guys know this story, where Jesus, when he's baptized, all of a sudden, the sky opens up, and a spirit comes down, the spirit comes down in the shape of a dove, um, and a voice comes out from heaven saying, um, this is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And this inaugurates Jesus' um, public ministry. Um, so John basically opens the door for Jesus to come into the picture. Uh, and from then on, the story, all the Gospels really start with the story of John, and then all of a sudden the story shifts right off of John, and it becomes Jesus' story. Um, and we don't hear a whole lot more from John after that. Uh, suddenly the story almost completely changes main characters, um, and we're kind of left with like wondering, okay, cool, this John guy was doing some pretty cool stuff. What happened to him? Where did he go? Um, and so Jesus' public ministry is starting to pick up steam and popularity after this. Um, and most of the accounts don't actually have this, but John, uh, the Gospel of John, um, different John, but the Gospel of John <laughs> has a really cool passage. Um, this is going to be what we're going to read today, um, in which we hear a little bit of John uh, after Jesus' ministry is really um, getting going. Uh, so let's read it together. Um, so... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like reading too much. So if somebody want to <laughs> read this for me, that'd be kind of cool. Big voice, Daniel Han! So, cool, would you mind? Sure. Thank uh, you. Or no, I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> uh, 22 to 30. Okay. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in a non 
near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Thank you. Cool. So, um, the story is set. Uh, Jesus is, we can back up, we can stay there for just a second. Um, Jesus is starting to do pretty much the same that John was doing. He's going out to the countryside, and people are coming out to him, and he's baptizing people. Actually, his disciples are, but it is Jesus' group of followers that are doing this. Um, and because they're, kind of, they're actually doing it in close proximity, and it turns out, you know, you put people doing the same work in the same place, there's a little bit of dispute. Um, and, and John's followers are understandably a little irked because they're like, John, this guy over there, like, like, and I know you like baptized him and everything, it was a big deal, but like, everybody's going to him, nobody's coming to us anymore. Um, he's, he's baptizing, everyone's going to him, and what, what, are, what are we supposed to do? Who are we at this point? We used to be, you know, the guys doing really important spiritual work, bringing about sort of uh, a revival in the countryside, and what's our job now? Um, and so, if we go to the next slide, somebody can maybe, somebody else can read off the rest here. Um, volunteer or not. It's a small group. Karen? So this is the passage we're going to focus on for tonight. Um, John's answer is remarkable. Um, and I, I, I put it in bold. Um, the two parts I really want to focus on in his answer are, I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Um, and uh, many of you guys know, I was doing the teacher prep program this semester, so one thing I learned was, People for to stick, you gotta say it yourself. So, but you guys say this with me, and I, I mean it. Okay, I'm gonna make you do this several times tonight, so we get used to it. Let's try it. I am not Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Okay. Cool. So, what is this first statement? I am not the Christ. This is more than just a factual statement. And John has said this several times, and he's repeating himself, saying, "I've already said this, guys. I'm not the Christ." Um, but this is. This is more than just saying it. This is a state of heart and mind. Uh, it's a state that constantly relinquishes a tendency to make ourselves out to be something that we're not. Uh, John recognizes that his position, um, in fact, we can go back real quick. Here's another phrase. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. He recognizes that everything he's got, his position, his work, his followers, his success with all of his work, are all given to him through Christ. And none of that, none of it's self-made. He has not done any of it. Uh, he's, the fact that he recognizes that uh, is really crucial. And he, he follows up, I am not the Christ, with a little addendum, right? But I have been sent before him. So he says, this is not my identity. I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. He defines himself in relation to Christ. He says, I'm a forerunner 
someone who heralds the approach of the Christ, uh, and someone who, my role is to point to Christ, but I'm not the center of the story. Um, and I think we are very much tempted all the time to make ourselves the center of the story. Uh, and I, I think none of us are, will come out and say, like, oh, you know, I'm the center of the story, everything revolves around me. But day to day, your decisions that you make, the things that we think, the way that we act with people, we, we really do. We put ourselves at the center of the story. And in effect, when we do that, we are saying, without saying it, I'm the Christ. I'm the center. Um, and yet we are not self-made. We've been given what we've been given from heaven, and we are not the center of the story. I am not the Christ. Uh, and John knows, so in addition to saying, this is my identity, I am not the Christ, or at least the anti-identity, um, he also says what his purpose is. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I love that phrase. Uh, there's another translation um, says, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And John's recognizing that in order for Jesus to receive the rightful glory that he deserves, John's got to get, his role in the story has to get smaller. Uh, he can no longer be the, the guy at the forefront. Uh, and in fact, John's words foreshadow the next event in his life. We just saw it in the passage. Uh, the very next thing, basically, in the story is he gets in prison and he gets beheaded. That's the end of John. Uh, and he really, <laughs> you know, in the ultimate sense, he does become less. Uh, he becomes less important as, as Christ becomes greater. And yet, he says that he's filled with joy at this prospect. And this is the strangest thing about what he says, right? I think most of us, when we find that we're becoming less important or less valuable in something, uh, we just kind of suck it up and we're like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, but John says this is what gives him great joy. Uh, and I love his analogy. He described himself uh, as the friend of the bridegroom, uh, causing Jesus as the bridegroom, the groom. Uh, and this is, a, <laughs> this is a really interesting analogy because uh, I feel like I myself have been uh, thrust into this situation. Because uh, <laughs> uh, So as many of you know, our, our dear senior Lizzie is getting married in a couple of weeks. Um, and Adam, um, her soon-to-be husband, uh, he was like, hey, can you be my best man? I was, I was enthralled. Um, and what a best man does today is a little different from what um, the quote-unquote friend of the bridegroom would have done back then. In fact, it's a much bigger role back then. It was probably kind of like best man plus wedding planner rolled into one, um, which is a lot of work. Um, and they had weddings that last days, so um, I'm glad that's not my job. <laughs> but that it really points to what, what was the friend of the bridegroom supposed to do? What was his role? Well, his job and his joy, his purpose, was to see that the groom received his bride. That was it. Having nothing to do with him. Um, everything to do with just the groom and the bride. And when he's talking about Christ, he's talking about Christ as the groom and his church as the bride. Um, and so I, I'm thinking about, okay, let's. I have to give a toast. I haven't even written it yet, so i got to work on that. Uh, but I have to give a toast for Adam in a couple of weeks. Um, and it would be completely inappropriate if I had written a toast all about myself. <laughs> How terrible of a toast would that be? Um, it's, it's Adam's wedding. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, the wedding is all about Adam receiving and glorying in Lizzie, and Lizzie receiving and glorying in Adam. That's the point of the wedding. Um, and it had... Nobody could care less 
what the best man had to say or did, right? I'm just there to make sure it happens, okay? And that, that's it. Um, and, and to be honest, that, that brings me great joy that that's happening. Um, and that's the entire focus of my role, or it should be, at least, right? Um, and so John recognizes the same thing for him in Christ. He says, my entire point was just to make sure that Christ receives his church. His church the church receives Christ, and they glory in each other. Uh, so, <laughs> John's attitude here is, is really, really radical. Uh, kind of understated. I feel like this passage kind of flies under the radar a lot. Uh, because he says it and then he's gone, right? Uh, he doesn't get to restate his point. He just says and that's it. Uh, but I believe, um, and I know this is true, that this is the kind of attitude that all believers are called to as well. Uh, so, I'll invite you guys to say it one more time. Um, say it with me. I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. And that there's so much packed into that. To live this sort of Christ increase, I decrease life, is so many things. Um, it is for your life to speak at all times. Behold the Lamb of God. Not behold Mac or behold Jay or behold, you know, Allie or Lizzie or Matt, right? It's just, behold, the Lamb of God. That is what people see, if that is your lifestyle. It's for your purpose to be revealing Christ and to take deepest joy at the prospect of the bridegroom, which Christ receiving his bride in the church. And to make, ultimately, it's making your mission his mission, your delight his delight, and your glory his glory. Um, of course, this is all love, lovely and abstract, <laughs> so let's I'd like to try to just make a couple of areas talk about a couple of areas where this applies so we can do the next slide um, and again I, I'm really nervous about talking about applications because as I talk about these I will feel extremely convicted because I know these are areas where I, I don't live this lifestyle 98% of the time um, and yet I think this is really important for all of us uh, so talk about three years the first is prayer um, and it seems a little strange because when you're praying, it really is just talking with God. Um, that's what we believe. Um, at the same time, I think sometimes when we pray, we miss uh, a really good opportunity uh, to, to dig into this. Um, I'm just going to requote um, the, the thing that John said right before um, I am not the Christ. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Um, and we forget this all the time. And it's not like we, like, like, think deliberately, like, oh, you know, like, God didn't give me this, right? But we don't think actively all the time, right? God gave me this, or God provided this. Um, and so, um, go ahead and do the next bullet point. I'm going to encourage you guys, practice praising God on a daily basis for every individual thing you can think of. Um, and I, I'm the first one to say, at the end of the day, I'm tired, I just hit the bed, and I want to sleep. Um, but Thinking through your day and being like, okay, what is everything that happened? The good, the bad, the circumstantial, the things that you did, the things that you didn't do. And say, God, I praise you for this. I praise you for that. You have provided this. I did not do this. Even the things I did do. A lot of you guys just took finals, right? And like, I, I, I will say, I pray a lot more on one side of the final than I do on the other side of the final. <laughs> um, but afterwards, right, what do we do? We say, God... Thank you. That was all of you, right? I don't know if I do that 
if I did that for the vast majority of my finals. But maybe that's something you can do, right? And not just big things like finals, but even small things. Um, like, thank you God, today, like, I got into work and I was on time and I'm not usually that, but um, thank you, that was all you. It wasn't even me. Um, small things even. And I think when we do this, um, we find things to be grateful for that, and, and praise God for that we wouldn't have actually thought of uh, in the first place. Uh, there's a lot of things we take for granted and there's a lot of things we never considered to be blessings. Um, and a lot of these things for sure, some things are gonna be terrible and you're gonna have to be like, God, I don't know if I wanna praise you for any of these things. And yet, maybe it pushes us to start realizing that we can. Uh, and I think also when we do this exercise, uh, it, find, it forces us to consider the things that we value and, and put importance and find joy in. Uh, things that we're proud of, things that we want to take credit for or claim as our accomplishments. Um, and yet when we get to the end of the day and we're praying about these things and we're saying, God, man, that really went well, I'm really glad I did that, it puts it into the light and we go, oh my gosh, what am I saying? Um, we have, and it forces us, at least, to make a decision if we're going to relinquish it over to God. Uh, and ultimately, I think the more we practice this, the more we will credit all of our successes, small or large, to Him. Uh, so the next bullet point is just one thing. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen uh, Tim Tebow or, or somebody like you know after they make a touchdown and get on the knees and point to God, right? Uh, and we we kind of laugh about this sometimes, uh, but. You know, John, John was a picture of giving God the glory publicly. But I don't think we're going to give God the glory publicly unless we're doing it privately. If we're not doing it on our own, in our prayers, then nothing in us is going to naturally say, oh, I want to give God the glory. When we're in the public and, and, and we get compliments or things go really well, it, it's not going to happen unless we're doing it um, in the quiet time when it's just you and God. So, can you guys say that phrase with me one more time? Um, I am not the Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. Okay. Um, the second area, I think, is going to play uh, is service. Um, and we, we talk a lot about service in Christian circles, sort of that buzzword, right? Like, oh, doing something um, for other people with no gain to yourself. Uh, and yet, uh, I think we, well, I'll just start. Uh, I can only talk from my own personal experience. Um, and so I'll just, many of you guys know, I've, I've helped out with um, the worship music for the past like five years or so, which is a little too long. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's all the temptations in that. And I think it's not too different from every other area of service we could be in uh, to make it about um, my own performance uh, or my reputation or what good I managed to accomplish in other people's lives. Um, and so, we often talk about something being Christ-focused, um, and we also know that sometimes it's supposed to be, oh yeah, loving Christ means loving others, uh, being others-focused. But I think we also mess that one up a lot, being others-focused. It's not the same, other being, well, yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna coin a new term, be Christ-other-focused. Um, and it's not the same thing as being centered on, being focused on somebody else's happiness, as opposed to your, or their opinion of you, that ultimately it just comes back around to you, um, if you're, and it's not ultimately being about Christ's increase. It's, it's about being yours, or maybe even just somebody else's. Um, but I think what being Christ other focused means is being focused on 
the relationship of other people to Christ. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll admit that's a bit of a, I think that's a whole other thing that someone else should probably take a talk about sometime, but just a, as a seed of thought, um, there is a difference, I think, between what we typically think of as our other, other focus or our Christ focus and a Christ other focus. Uh, so when I, when I, um, five years of, of helping out on the worship team, uh, this has been sort of my eventually shaping guiding principles when I pick songs, when I uh, determine arrangements, I think, okay, what, not what will everybody enjoy, right? Because ultimately that's about everybody liking my music, not what will everybody really get into or what is a cool song that I enjoy playing, but what will connect other people to Christ? What will make, help them interface with Christ? Um, and of course, that's still a work in progress. I think my worship leading philosophy is gonna evolve for the next 45 years, but um, I think it's a start. Uh, so the other thing I'm gonna throw in there is also strange, uh, be replaceable. Um, and this is not a phrase we like in Princeton culture, uh, because we're told like, you are the big deal. You are so valuable and you have so much to contribute. No one can do it like you do. Well, that's not true. Um, and even if it is true, it shouldn't be true. Um, John recognized that he was replaceable. Uh, and in fact, he just got to be, he got lucky because he recognized that, oh, I'm replaced by the actual like Christ here. Uh, but we, none of us are eternal. We are not the Christ, so we are not eternal, at least on this earth. Um, and we do not, we don't have, I don't think, a right to want to be irreplaceable. Uh, I think when we are replaceable, um, we are actually giving God a lot more glory. Um, and I think a big part of that has to do with training other people to do what you do, if you are uh, really valuable. And, and just not relishing so much being invaluable. I think we all like that feeling. It feels really good to be like, you know, oh yeah, everybody, you know, this place, this, place, this couldn't work without me. They, they really needed me for this, right? Um, and and that, I think that's a really <laughs> sinful attitude. Um, and if, if John had maintained that attitude, I don't imagine that he would have said what he did. Um, so, right, be Christ other focused and be replaceable in your service. And I think this applies, it's harder to apply it to general work, because sometimes work isn't as clear, um, but I think it does apply as well. So, um, say it one more time with me, guys. I am not the Christ. You must increase, I must decrease. Um, the third area I'm going to throw out to you guys, and this is the big elephant in the room, uh, evangelism. And this is a scary word. Um, what keeps us so often from sharing? Um, and I, I think that 95% of the time, it's because we are more afraid of someone else's opinion of me than I'm concerned about their opinion with, of Christ. Um, and yet, this is where he must increase, I must decrease, is crystal clear. It does not matter what other people think of me, insofar as it has, if it has nothing to do with Christ, at least. Um, I do think that we need to have a good reputation before our brothers and sisters and before the world so that they look at us and they see Christ, right? Um, we want to strive to improve our image as far as it matches God's image. But most of the time, I think what causes us to, and sometimes we use it as an excuse, but I think most of the time what causes us to balk at saying anything 
to pull back from saying everything that we we know that the Spirit is trying to have us say um, is that we're more worried about how that person, those people, are going to perceive you than we are about how they may eventually, and it may not be right there and then, but may eventually perceive Christ. Um, and so, right, these increases, I decrease. If what I say ruins my reputation in front of that person, so be it. Um, John himself uh, <laughs> was, it was fun reading what some of the things he said to the, the leading people today. Um, sort of got, the reason he gets beheaded is he says some not so nice things to uh, Herod and um, well, really, his wife wasn't the happy one, but uh, <laughs> but I think that ultimately, right, what he says, he was not afraid of what people thought of him. He wanted people to know uh, who Christ was. Uh, and this, uh, so the last one here, um, this is, I think, a hard one. Uh, our natural motivations, uh, especially, uh, you know, you study your econ here, and you're like, oh, everybody's motivated by their, their own happiness or something like that. Uh, and yet we know... Um, I think we all know that when we have a good friend, we have somebody, and we see they, their joy, that motivates us, right? That is our joy. Um, and for John, his joy was Christ's joy, Christ's joy at receiving his bride. And if we are the bridegroom's friend, we should want nothing better than to see the bride receive her groom, and the groom to receive her bride. Um, and so, if our joy is the joy and glory of Christ to people repenting and coming to him, then, well, what else should we want, right? I think if that joy is our joy, then it will overcome any reservations we have about wanting to tell others about Christ. Uh, so, uh, one more time. <laughs> I am not to Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. This is, uh, I, I was thinking about how uh, the summers are, are a really interesting time for everybody. And many of you guys are seniors, and this is not even just a summer, this is the rest of your life that you're going on to. Um, but um, this is such a, an unusual attitude out there. And I think, if, if we're honest, we've, if we've met somebody like this, we know we've met them. We know what... That, that that person, you know, that this is the way they think, or at least uh, or more of that. And I, it's so strange, right, that, a, that an attitude defined around not being important and becoming less is so, I don't know, radiant in a way, right? Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys. Uh, the summers are a strange time. Uh, so for those of you who are not seniors, uh, you'll be in some other place maybe for a very short period of time. But that can still matter. And for the seniors, where you're going, um, whether it's for a little time or a long time, uh, that can matter too. Um, I encourage you guys to think about uh, these things. Say this. Wake up in the morning. Say this to yourself. I'm not the Christ. You must increase. I must decrease. Um, and I think if we are living this, then the Church of Christ will be growing and will be healthier. A lot of ways. So, let's say it one more time, and then we'll pray and close. I am not the Christ. You must increase. I must decrease. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for 
really did live in a way that pointed to Christ, that pointed to the most important person and the most important truth in this world. Uh, we pray that as we go out into this world, um, as we all disband from campus, um, that you would fill us with the same spirit of humility, the same spirit uh, of Christ focus, and really put um, really put into our hearts this truth um, and change the way we live Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.